All righty, guys. Happy Friday. Woo! No, that was pretty weak, guys. Woo, that was a woo. Happy Friday! All right, there, there we go. All right, that's the energy I'm looking for. So, uh, super excited. We have a guest speaker here today, uh, Amanda Lydon. But before we introduce her, I just wanted to thank everyone for coming. I know there's a lot of faces here that uh, have been uh, coming here to these soapboxes for a good five, six years. Yeah, Mr. Ahmed here, I know. And uh, Stacy as well has been a long-term soapboxer, so it's always great to see uh, people in the audience that have uh, continued to be supporting us. So uh, I did want to start off and uh, first of all introduce Zerb for anyone that doesn't know Zerb. Zerb's a product design company and we have a studios business that helps uh, other businesses figure out how to change the way they're building their products and services. Um, of course when you do that long enough you have products that emerge out of that and so foundation is one of our largest uh, products that's used by millions of designers to build their responsive designs. Uh, we also have a software product called Notable that helps teams organize themselves uh, and we do training. So as a company, we try to support people. And so what we do is bring like-minded individuals in to share their insights, which aren't exactly ours, but uh, bring varying views to both um, our employees so they can learn some stuff and hopefully the community, you guys can learn a little something along the way in our, our discussion. Uh, I did also want to shout out to Mr. Daniel there in the back. He's uh, uh, a driver of many of the speakers, and he spends a great amount of time trying to uh, find interesting people that can uh, share their insights. So, uh, call out to, to Daniel. And uh, Mr. Jordan here has been doing the mic for uh, so long, he's just a fixture here on the uh, soapbox. Uh, he just quietly sits over there, but he makes sure that the recordings get done. So, uh, I think you've been doing that quite some time. So, really appreciate both of their efforts. And then the soapbox derby team, Shauna and uh, uh, the Connections team do a great job of get you guys in here and get you food. So um, oftentimes uh, it's just kind of seamless. It just all happens. But I wanted to make sure that these guys uh, were called out because they've been doing some great work over the years and have made this thing for you guys uh, really go smooth. So call it to them. So I'm going to just give them a, a pause. All right. So now the future, uh, Amanda. So Amanda uh, is special because she started off as a creative person and then decided she was going to go do some business stuff and then she mixed the two worlds together. So uh, she has a graphic design background from uh, Davis. Shout out to the Davis fans here. Yeah, We've got three or four on our team. So nice. it's, it, what's your slogan? Aggies? No. Yeah, yeah the Aggies, yes. Um, and then uh, went on to get an MBA from San Francisco State University. She's had uh, uh, design leadership positions in um, Wells Fargo into it, uh, some big companies there, so we can hear a little bit about that. And she's currently head of design at Asana, and so she helped lead the uh, redesign effort over the last uh, year and a half, and is probably still in the midst of trying to figure out uh, what works and doesn't work there. So super excited to welcome Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. All righty, so I pulled the audience, and they want to know what your favorite color is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> There's really deep questions they were asking for. Um, I think the, the first, person, first question I have, and, and it's always interesting to me because uh, I think everyone at this stage knows design plays a significant role in businesses. And probably back when you started, it, you know, design was an interesting thing, a career path, probably something you were personally invested in. Perhaps you were always sketching or you were always doing something uh, creatively. It just seemed probably like a natural progression. So. The question is, is why do you go down this path? And all of a sudden, I want an MBA. Where does, 
where does that come from or what did you learn by doing design and what was the desire to, to go seek out some more business experience to complement your creative uh, passion? Yeah, um, well, I started out in consulting business, you know, working at agencies and um, started to become kind of a, a principal at the agency I was working at. And they really suggested, you know, in order to, to move the needle, it'd be awesome if you had an MBA. Um, and then I ended up leaving the, the agency, but deciding that that was actually a really good choice for me. Um, I worked full time at Wells Fargo and then they put me through business school at night. It was not at all uncommon at Wells Fargo for uh, someone to get an MBA. A lot of people had MBAs there. Um, really, the thing that drove me to feel that it was really important was um, I would notice that there was a project that needed championing. It was a design-centered project, um, and I would want to make the business case for it. I would know in my heart and in my mind that if we made this change, it would make a big impact for customers, and then in the same vein, it would make a big impact for the business. But I didn't really know how to have that conversation with executives, and I felt like if I got an MBA, I would have the same tools that they did so that I could you know, uh, make the case for the, the changes that I wanted to make. That's interesting. I made the choice just to keep going forward and make lots of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Your way seems like it's a little bit more manageable. Mine was filled with lots of pain. Um, and I kid. Uh, yeah. The uh, so from a business perspective and seeing your skills as a designer, did you feel that design perhaps didn't have a place at the table to discuss these business problems, or was it your own limitation as a person that you felt you needed the skills to assert yourself, or, or uh, both? I don't both, know. I think. Yeah, I think that um, an MBA is way more than you need. <laughs> I shouldn't. Yeah, like going back, looking back, I'm glad I did it, but it's it wasn't necessary to go to school at night for three years in order to, to learn the things I needed to learn. Um, but I, I think that after doing it, I realized like, okay, I, I think I should be confident in the room and, and make the case that I uh, see is important. Um, the, in terms of like design having a seat at the table, I fully believe that in my career that has completely transformed. Like I think that the fact that design schools even have business programs, MBA programs within the design schools now shows that change. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I started it was like, okay, you're a resource uh, and we're gonna sort of ask you to do something when we already kind of know what the scope of the project is and now we'd like you to execute it. Um, and so I've witnessed uh, generations of design leaders come through, and, and now you see uh, heads of design you know, reporting to CEOs at companies. So it has been a, a huge transformation, which has been really exciting to see. And now I think that most companies completely get it, that um, obviously if you're going to have a product that's successful, you're going to have a design team that's thriving. So, so that transition as you're getting an MBA and working for a larger company and trying to understand uh, how does design fit in a room just yeah. on a daily basis? You know, there might be product managers, there might be sure. uh, accountants, there might be all kinds of people in the room. Um, <clears throat> how does one as a designer, and, and I know a lot of people have these, these ideas of, of design kind of transforming end user products or things that are very glamorous or Apple-esque in... in mm -hmm. And I have to imagine being in Wells Fargo, 
awesome opportunity, but it's not any of those things uh, about Flash and, and, and Glitz. It's, it's about probably, what, what, what was it for you, or at least that kind of design problem you were trying to solve in, say, a Wells Fargo? Because I think yeah. that's more of what the design opportunities out there are, are mm -hmm. things that affect people's daily lives that may not be an Apple Watch or yeah. an iPhone, right? Yeah, I was really lucky at, at Wells Fargo and have been at, at most of the companies I've worked at in that I feel that I've been able to really transform the user experience. So when I was at Wells Fargo, I started out on the inline bank, online banking side of things where you, know, you log in and you see your account balance and things like that. And we redesigned that. And this was years ago. I think they just did another redesign now, 15 years later, maybe, or you know, 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and um, so uh, I worked on the prior version of that, and uh, did, it, did that it help you create more accounts? <laughs> yeah, gosh, six, six point five is the goal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean it's so heartbreaking reading about all of that because I, um, my own experiences working at Wells Fargo is that that is a, an incredibly thoughtful company, and the people who are there are such hardworking and caring people, and they give back to the community a bunch and um, just a really progressive and awesome company to work for in my experience, but not that I endorse the you know recent uh, articles about what happened there. Um, but yeah, so I worked on online banking and then when I finished that with the team, then I started working on the marketing site, so the stuff that you see before you log in um, and what is the information people need and then created the first sort of um, sign-up flow for signing up for accounts online, which was like really fun, complicated project of like, we ask you a little bit of information, and then there's a decision tree on the back end to show you a set of questions that we need, and then we recommend a product for you. It was kind of the first of its kind back then. Um, the first mobile experience, and then uh, redesigned the Wells Fargo homepage, and that was a really high-profile project where there was like, hundreds of stakeholders because everybody wants their link on the home page and lots of uh, you know uh, important and political project and really fun to roll that out. Um, and then eventually I started working on the applications that bankers use, like in the call centers and things like that. And um, I got to the point where I personally, in my own journeys, I tend not to redesign the same thing over and over and over again. I like to think through the problem, give it my heart and soul for a while, and then I like to let somebody else try the next round. Um, and so that's when I got recruited by Yahoo to, to join there as the, the director of user experience at Yahoo. So um, I had a lot of fun with the work that I did there. And, and one of the things that I discovered while working at Wells Fargo, it was one of the first consumer products I worked on. And um, I really enjoyed working on financial applications because of how emotional they are. It sounds crazy to say, but like, I would talk to users, and their hopes and dreams are pinned on how much they can save and how low their mortgage rate can yeah, be. That doesn't surprise me. Anyone yeah, else have a husband it, or a wife? You yeah, know? exactly. And so, pretty intense, right? Feels really good to to take something that's complicated and um, intimidating, like managing your financial life, and figure out how to make it simple and easy and intuitive, and to give people the information they need to make smart decisions. So, I I loved it. So you you. Went on, you've done some stuff with uh, Intuit, Yahoo, and, and <clears throat> now at Asana, you're working on an enterprise software. I know you yep. have, uh, based on the wealth of your experience in managing people and working on things, I know you have very distinct sort of 
views on, on the <laughs> convergence of, of software and, and this idea of, of um, perhaps the, the, the differences are, are actually much more minimal than they were, say, 10 years ago when you were probably starting this journey. Yep. Um, can you speak a little bit about where, because um, I know a lot of the IPs, people work on B2B apps or, or within businesses that are providing services to other businesses, um, where you see that convergence, where you see lots of those gaps have just been closed for mm -hmm. people building products and software? Yeah, I mean, I think um, Dropbox was sort of the, the first example that I noticed where, you know, it used to be that um, I think that it was exciting to work on enterprise software right in the dot-com boom because a lot of things didn't exist and you got to make them for the first time. And then I think it was not as exciting for a while because a lot of companies were profitable and they're making money automatically, whether they did user improvements or not. Um, and so there just wasn't a large investment. And then more recently, there's been a tipping point where it used to be that um, the way that you sold enterprise software was to make a deal with a C-level executive at the, at the customer that you were hoping to sell, and then they would roll it out and, and your users would just adopt the program because they were told to use it. But then there came products like Dropbox and Slack and Asana and uh, you know Sunrise and others where it's like a, an individual employee would choose to use the product, they'd find it useful, they'd share it with their team. Um, eventually, they get a number of users that requires them to pay for the product, and and the IT departments. You know, I can remember when I was working at Intuit, and we were all using Dropbox, and IT was like, "We aren't, we aren't uh, supporting Dropbox. You know, you'll you'll need to stop." And that lasted for like six months, and then they were like, "Okay, we'll support Dropbox because everybody was using it. And it was just sort of like a, a transformation." And so the 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 thing that happens when your users are picking the product and making the choice is that they're going to make the choice of the product that's better and has a better user experience. And so because that's a new normal for enterprise software, more and more enterprise software companies are, are required to create a consumer-level user experience. It has to work as well as your experience on Facebook or Google. Um, you need to feel like it's intuitive and that it, it feels good to be at work. So you, you, uh, you know, one of these uh, components you, you spoke to in, in sort of the differences is that, you know, you shouldn't have to rely on a sales team right. for user growth. And maybe, um, maybe talk a little bit more about that. What does that, what does that mean to you in a, in a SaaS-based product? What, why yeah. should you be thinking about this problem without a salesperson? Well, um, two-thirds of the, uh, we do have, you know, salespeople at Asana, but two-thirds of our growth comes from teams selecting Asana, growing it throughout their organization, and then becoming paid customers without ever talking to a salesperson, without ever talking to a support person. Um, and so for that reason, the product needs to sell itself and it needs to be intuitive. Um, I think that's important because you cannot, uh, it's, uh, you can spend your money as a business focused on improving the product or you can spend your money hiring support people and salespeople. Um, and it's, it's more scalable to fix the product experience. Um, and, and people won't use something that, that they don't enjoy. And there's always a competitor that's going to come along that's going to have a better user experience, and then people will switch to that product. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. So what you're saying is, is that perhaps a direct sales effort to try and scale stuff to get some of our hurdles of the software yeah. shouldn't be the goal to create a scalable product. The question I have is, 
then how do you get that feedback? How do you know what is working to scale the product and what inputs, if they're not using customer service or you're not using a sales effort, how do you get inputs to improve the overall service or ah, got it. experience? Yeah, we do. So we do have a support team, a customer success team, and we do have sales folks as well. Um, and there are customers that do want to just immediately you know, roll out our product and, and begin paying right away. Um, and certainly you do see some folks like Dropbox is an example of a company that started with the bottoms up and then eventually moved to doing sudden tops down because they were seeing some competitive pressure from folks like Box who are going tops down. So we do want to have a balanced approach and, and serve both needs. But um, yeah, I mean, we get customer feedback from our customer success team. Um, people give us feedback on blogs when we roll things out. We have a, a pretty thorough rollout process for any new feature, which is that we first uh, launch it internally, and we at Asana use Asana for everything that we do. Um, and so we get a lot of feedback from our own employees saying, you know, this works well or it doesn't and why. Um, and then we roll out any feature to a beta team, uh, a set of beta customers that we have, and they give us feedback. And then we A-B test from there. Um, so with all of those channels, there's feedback along the way. And then the, the customer success team gives us a set of things that they're hearing from customers, and we use that as a way to prioritize feature improvements as well. Gotcha. So as far as getting that <clears throat> initial feedback in the creation flow of something or workflows, mm -hmm. you're, you're basically using your own team as a sort of a, a benchmark, at least initially, to get that feedback. Yeah, that's one of those. We have usability um, testing processes, and we have a research organization as well. So we do, you know, bring people in for usability testing as well. Right. Um, one of the things I think you highlighted is that uh, enterprise software, you're not always dogfooding your own yeah. product because in often cases, you, you know, you might be doing something for doctors in which you aren't a doctor, right? You might be designing something for financial planners and you aren't a certified right. financial planner. In this case... You are actually dogfooding your product. Maybe speak a little bit to sort of the benefits of that, like why that really can cut down on time and maybe it's more efficient, uh -huh. but also highlight why that might create blind spots for you totally. or um, specific areas of the software where yeah. you're not addressing uh, customer complaints or issues because mm -hmm. you really want to solve your own problem. Yeah, exactly. And so at Asana, we use, uh, everyone across the company uses Asana, and we use it for everything from like HR to project management to um, like everything that we do across the company is happening within that tool. And so it's great because we can try out features and, and really feel them out. But um, most of our customers are not using it as extensively as we are yet. Uh, and so we can sometimes have a false sense of confidence around like, yeah, this works well, but then it, for a user that isn't using it as extensively, we have to really check in with the beta program and other, other sources to be sure. Um, yeah, and then the, you know, when I was at Intuit and you're working on QuickBooks, that, you know, the designers aren't small business owners and they aren't accountants. And so there it was the opposite problem, you know, they'd have to go and do hours and hours of uh, site visits with accountants and small business owners to get that customer empathy. Um, so there's a benefit to dog fooding, but then you also have to be careful about being overconfident because you may not use it the way your, your users do. Can you give me an example in your software where you feel like dog fooding it or using it for yourself? You've prioritized a feature or something that um, really didn't work for anyone else or is kind of like, eh, I don't know. 
Yes, so we have an Omni button in our product. It's like a plus icon and you click and you open it up and you can say like create new task. And um, when we were first launching that feature, uh, the product manager wanted to have the, the person's name defaulted in. Um, and so you like, I'm gonna create a task and then it says, you know, assign to Amanda Linden and then I'd create the task and there'd be like no date field, no um, attachments, really pared down user experience with only a couple of bits of information. And I, as a people manager, uh, gave a bunch of scathing feedback about it. I was like, I never assign a task to myself. I have a team of people and I'm always assigning tasks to other people. So I keep having to empty the field and that's frustrating. And like, I have to add all these other pieces of information later. Um, and so if they would have gone by my personal feedback, then they would have launched it in a very different way. But it turned out that the way they launched it was a win because most people um, who use Asana are assigning tasks to themselves and they were able to get more people creating tasks because the form was shorter. Um, so that's, that's one example where you know I was, I was in the wrong. Right. I'm trying to picture, picture you in a scathing mode as well. <laughs> A few, few less petals on the daisy, it feels <laughs> yeah. like. Uh, so um, from a product perspective and trying to, to, say, garner that feedback and internal feedback in making decisions, um, you know, I've heard you and we talked a little bit before this, uh, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned you're that you're a, a people manager, uh -huh. right? And, and as a designer or as someone that else has created something, Maybe help us understand in, in your context and your sort of feedback loops and how you're helping people within those product decisions. What does that mean to say you're a people manager? Yeah. Uh, you know, because as a designer or someone that had a design mm -hmm. um, that may not compute, what does that mean? Yeah, um, well, Asana is a very distinct culture, and the role that I play as a manager at Asana is different than the role that I played as a manager at Intuit or Wells Fargo. So, um, but I, I'm a, a huge fan of the Asana culture. Being a manager at Asana is um, is an offering of service rather than a hierarchy uh, in a lot of ways. So. In other roles I've had, it's been my job to look at every design as it's coming out and be like approved or rejected. Um, and that's not the way that we work at Asana. Um, we have a, a team of designers and we have weekly critiques. Um, and when I provide feedback, I'm a voice in the room, but my voice is not louder than any other designer on the team. That sounds complicated. <laughs> yeah, well, how does that work? Tell the audience it's, how that It's complicated, works. but it's empowering for a designer because you hear the feedback and then you're empowered to make the final decision yourself. Right. It requires you to, to hire people who are confident in their own decision making and that, that you ultimately trust to make the right call. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if you're a people manager, and let's just say managing is really about helping people make decisions. Uh-huh but you're in trying to get everyone else to make their own decisions, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, management at Asana, I mean, I'm largely in a white space role, which is that like I wanna create processes that are really empowering for people and I want them to succeed and if they're doing well, then, and, then so you're a I'm- you Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I feel like my role changes throughout a designer's project cycle. You know, in the beginning, um, I'm helping to champion a project. A designer will be like, why do I want to work on this exactly? And I'm like, you are going to change the world with this feature. Here's why it is so important that you do this. And you are the best person for this job. Um, and and then there's changing the, the color of the button from red to blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then there's this, you know, phase where it's like, God, we could go in so many different directions here. Um, and the designer's overwhelmed, and they're, like, trying to figure out, like, what, what am I going to use to narrow? What metric am I going to be looking at? What is going to be my, like, core goal? Um, and so you're, you're working really closely with the designer at that point, and then eventually they pick an approach. And at that point, it's like it's really fun to see that pivot because then they're confident and they know what they're going to do and they want you to get away. <laughs> and so then you've got to take a step back and just let them thrive, you know. Um, and so for me, it's fun as a manager because I'll, I'll work with 15 to 20 designers in a day and each of them is at a different place in that cycle. And so I like you kind of have to calibrate and be like, okay, am I in the mode of like, you're in charge, you know what you're doing, or am I in the mode of like, I'm here to help, we're in this together. Um, and it, it varies throughout the day, but it's fun. Right, and uh, you know, speaking to that as, as a design leader myself, is this juxtaposition of opening up a problem in the uh -huh. problem space and, and helping them close it down in the solution space. Oftentimes businesses really struggle with this. One of your quotes, and, and uh, maybe this is the sadistic side we need to understand, is I love watching teams shift from overwhelmed to confident and obsessed, right? <laughs> uh, so, and, and I understand that it's designed as this feeling of overwhelmness when the possibilities are endless or the, yeah. that there is no solution in sight, only possibilities, right? Talk to, us about, talk to us about, one, maybe working directly with designers, talking them off the ledge of, you know, feeling completely disenchanted or frustrated about too many problems, and then going to your uh, engineering brethren who need more specificity and clarity in thinking you're insane, right? In mm. juxtaposition, like, the, the two types of conversations are probably similar, um, but you're speaking to them and sort of one from an inherent understanding of how design works and another is... Yeah. Maybe in a cross-collaboration setting where that may not be as, as clear. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when the designers are overwhelmed, it's often because you want to solve every problem. And all, all problems are important, but it's really important to prioritize. You know, for the, for the QuickBooks redesign, our priority was new user growth and acquisition. Um, and so we wanted to know that uh, the redesign... If, if people had, if you gave 50% of the population the redesign and 50% the old product, the redesign would have more people signing up and converting to paid than the original product. And that gives the team clarity and focus, and they know what to ignore at that point. And you do ignore a lot with a re big redesign, otherwise it'll take forever and you'll never get it done. With the Asana redesign, the goal was maximize clarity, make the product seem more clear. Um, and so we specifically did not prioritize things like, you know, monetization or premium conversion in lieu of, of maximizing clarity. Funders. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so with designers, it's just, you know, getting to alignment on that, that goal that you're going to solve for. Um, as far as engineers go, uh, yeah, I can't really speak too clearly to the... Um, we have, we have engineers on the design team that will, you know, create a prototype of something so that it's 
pretty well defined. And we'll look at like three or four different versions of how something like a, a task can open up out of a project so that we can make the information hierarchy obvious just from the movement in the application. Um, and so a lot of times then that would be handed over to an engineer. So it's pretty specific. We work in Sketch a lot, and I think that eliminates the uh, need for red lines, and that was a, a big improvement for the team. But we're, we're fortunate enough that our whole company is, is less than 300 people, and so you have the designer sitting next to their development team, and it's pretty organic, and they're like two peas in a pod, literally. So I heard, uh, and this is something that's pretty important and maybe highlighting is a prototype. So a prototype yeah. allows a space to exist between finality of decision-making and perhaps conceptual ideation. Yeah. Um, and it sounded like you have an engineer on a prototyping project where visualizations are created collaboratively uh, before being brought to a group of, of production-oriented Yeah. Yeah, when I joined Asana, I knew that we were going to be doing a redesign, which was an exciting uh, hook for me to come. Um, and then uh, on the team, there was generalist designers and then a, a marketing designer as well. Um, and we hired a uh, motion graphics person, illustrator, prototyper, um, and, and those specialists really help bring the product to life. Um, and they also work across marketing and product so that you have you know, consistency across the board. But yeah, it's really important when you're doing a redesign to, to play with it and to try a bunch of things out. Um, to look at the same interaction in 10 different ways because you can't really tell if you like something in mock-up form. Right, Yeah. right. So from a team perspective and how you organize, um, clearly there are certain things that don't necessarily fit within the design realm or engineering realm. So take, for example, search. You guys prioritize search a little bit more in this release, it seems like, or the redesign. Uh -huh. It's a omni-search, right, uh, yeah. at the top, mm -hmm. um, versus looking at things as browsable components and things that you navigate towards. Mm -hmm. uh, how do decisions like that get made? Are those data-driven decisions? Are those someone that just goes in the room and says, this is the way it should be? Is it a collective that takes time to get to arrive to these decisions? Mm -hmm. Is it we're doing a bunch of prototypes until we know it feels right? How do you know <coughs> what direction to take a team in? Yeah. With, um, with the redesign, the navigation, I feel like navigation should support the heart and soul of your product. And literally, as you look across the nav, you should be able to understand the meaning and the purpose of the product. Um, and so we actually added more navigation. We added a nav bar up at the top and made search more prominent. Asana is a place where you create projects. Within those projects, there are tasks and projects are categorized in teams, and then you're, you have several teams within a company. And so basically, it doesn't take long for there to be a lot of information in Asana. And one of the things that's really nice about Asana is that it's, everything's public by default. You think about the world's information and how most of work is organized in email, that's actually hugely inefficient because email, all the information is hidden. Unless you're on an email thread, you are not going to know what's been discussed at all. And that's a lot of information to not be shared in an organization when you're trying to, to move forward with, with um, your project. So it's important to make sure that information is accessible. Um, so our, our navigation is, you know, create something or search 
for something. And those are the two ways that you, you're either going to like pull something up that you're trying to find or you're going to create something new. And those are across the top. Um, and that's, that's your way of, of adding or accessing information. But then the other way that we look at work is that you want to categorize things in ways that are meaningful for you and you want to save the things that matter. So we have the, the navigation on the left and the, it's a little more complicated. It's like a drawer of, of your projects. But you can add things as favorites over there and you can categorize things over there. So it's not totally dissimilar from email in that you know you've got your inbox which and you can search for an individual thing but on the left you have your folders and you can kind of try to make sense of life with those folders on the left but how do you arrive at this obviously it seems obvious in retrospect of course there's this and of course it's that but yeah. getting teams of people to come to an answer um how much of your time is spent trying to do one-on-ones to help overcome yeah hurdles versus trying to express something as a group format, where would you say most of your time is spent in trying to get ideas moving forward? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, we work more to have several ideas because there's one that sounds really good and mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this is probably going to work, but generating two or three ideas. So it's almost the opposite problem where it's like, actually, let's think of, of more than one way. Um, there are times when there's teams that don't agree on something. I, I notice that happening more where, you know, maybe, maybe the web team and the mobile team are both building the same feature, but they're coming at it from different platform and they have a different approach to it. Um, and so we have, you know, regular meetings to hash out those things um, and come to a decision that way. Um, you know, the, the process of deciding on navigation is really hard. I think that when you're doing a redesign, honestly and truly, 60% of what you're thinking through is all navigation because the, the application just falls out of that navigation. So there's a ton of iterating. I mean, you, you just keep refining it and refining it and refining it and testing and um, trying different things out. Um, we had an approach for the left nav that we tested and, and AB tested it and it was not a win and so we rolled that back. Um, so yeah, it's just the, the same process that we use to go through everything else. Um, but it is true that that's where most of the focus needs to be in a redesign is in that navigation. Well, so I wanna open it up to uh, the audience but I have one, one last question for you. Uh, design, is in its heyday. It's, it's, it's created a lot of uh, new, exciting opportunities for people. How would you define or, or describe design to the audience? What is it that you believe design to be? Because it, yeah, the, the way as our conversation unfolds, it sounds like a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I I personally tend to work in the realm of pre-design. I think you know. I think that I often enter into a world where they're like, we need a design. Um, and the designers are like, well, once we, once we have a plan in place, then I'd be happy to get started. So I helped to generate that plan, working with the engineering team and the product team and marketing and, you know, executive stakeholders and things like that. Um, but design is, is everything involved in the user experience and everything involved in your brand. Um, every every impression that your customer has with your company is design. You know, I work with a lot of times like 
the, the customer success team or even our recruiting team, um, we'll have designers that'll partner with recruiters to design the experience of interviewing at Asana. And so design is, is generating any kind of experience, I think. Awesome. So let's uh, ask uh, the audience for some questions, and then I know she'll answer some as well uh, afterward as well. So, yes, Stacy. Oh, okay, so are you designing mobile first? Are you designing for like the Windows versus the Apple platform, all the different devices, all the different browsers? I mean, who kind of coordinates all that? That makes me crazy in my business. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Asana, the bulk of our users use our product on the web. Um, it's a web-based product. We do not have a desktop client yet. Um, we may in the future, but it's all the, uh, the web-based software. And then we have a mobile app. Um, obviously, you can use our tool on a tablet as well, but that's a very uncommon use case. And so we invest most of our time in the, in the web app and the mobile app. And um, we happen to have more engineers on the web app side. But we're, we're thinking about them in parallel. There are certain things that we launch mobile first and certain things that we launch web first, depending on the use case and how important the feature is to that particular platform. You mentioned that you have a team that's a meeting. How big is that? When is it going to get too big? Um, yeah. We, um, so we, we have a number of meetings. Uh, we have a design critique for marketing design and a design critique for product design. And anyone on the design team can go to either or both. Um, and that was a recent development. It used to be that we just had the one, but the team got to be you know 15. And at that point, it was like, ah, you know. You're always just wanting to make sure that you have like a useful conversation, um, that it doesn't feel uh, negative, that it feels like a safe room and a supportive room. And sometimes too many people can make that more difficult. Um, and that you have you know, a balance in contributions from, from the room. Uh, and then you know, we do have a meeting each week with um, our co-founder, who looks at the experience and gives feedback as well. Um, and then culturally, we have every Thursday uh, a meeting that the designers come together, and for an hour, we literally just hang out um, and have conversations and talk about how things are going. It's very much conversational, and, and um, that is something that the designers have really responded well to in that like we have designers in Dublin and in Spain and in New York and in San Francisco. And a lot of times, if all you do is come together through critique, you can, it's hard to form a partnership and a bond. Um, so we wanted to create some space for just, just chilling and talking about designs we like. And, and you know people do pottery on the weekends, and they show their pottery and stuff like that. So it's fun. Cool. So I have maybe three questions, but I'll, I'll cut you off if it's too much. Yeah. So culture, you hinted a few things about you know, difference in culture. Uh -huh. All of your companies that you were talking about are big companies. Uh -huh. I'm from a very small, tiny company, uh, and I'm trying to understand, like, how do you uh, see the, the good or bad things about different cultures? Mm -hmm. That's one. Um, um, second thing is uh, you talked about uh, features that all, all users don't use. Like, not yeah. all the features are used by your users. Mm -hmm. 
So generally, how many, like, is it 40% always or mostly used? Or mm. is it a higher percentage that it is mostly used? Yeah, I'll answer that one first, because I have recency bias. But I remember the culture question, too. Uh, so uh, Asana, the product, is easy and powerful. And there are products that are task managers that are more complicated and harder to use, and they have more features. And there are products that are more consumer-oriented. They're simpler. They're actually easier to use, but they're less powerful. And so we strive to be right in that middle ground where it's useful for any team, no matter what you're working on, but it's not so complicated that you have to like read a manual or like you can get going on your own and, and learn as you go. Uh, so we try to make the really important use cases that everyone is going to use obvious, and then we try to make the more complicated stuff possible, but not necessarily obvious. Um, and then your question about culture was like, how, how are the cultures different at the different companies, or yeah. what do I like about I mean, various... We are, we are at a point where we are trying to think about what a culture should be for our company. Yeah. And, and your, your point of view is from like in the clouds. Uh-huh. Like under the water right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to understand like how we can relate to that and what... Yeah. I've worked at, I mean, I've been excited about most of the companies I've worked at, and I've, you know, culture is one of the main reasons why I've chosen a lot of my jobs. Um, Asana is no exception. It's such a fantastic culture. And certainly it is evolving always because, you know, when I joined, there was, you know, 90 employees, and, um, and it was the right time for them to have a design manager because they had, you know, a set of designers but no manager yet. Um, and so there's been processes in that have unfolded around developing a culture for the design team and to, um, I think the core values of the company always stay the same, but the, the way those manifest evolve over time depending on, on the stage of the company. You know, one thing that we've talked about at Asana recently is uh, job titles. So we don't currently have job titles. We have like a few descriptors that you can use, like design manager or head of illustration or, you know, to make it clear who you are. But we don't have things like director or senior or VP. And there's obviously things that are valuable about those. And there's also cultural downsides to those. Um, and so at a certain point in our company, we'll probably keep revisiting that. And there may be a time when we do have titles. Um, obviously, it provides clarity at a certain point. Uh, especially when you don't, maybe don't know everyone at the company personally, but um, we strive to, as much as possible, be just like a, a company of individuals that can all add value regardless of, of their uh, role. Cool. How about one more question before uh, we call it? Yeah. All right. Anyone else? We'll give it to you. You can ask. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned about the preferring the design with the CEO and founder of the company. How is that different from having a design critique inside a team? Ah. How do you do that? How do you deliver that different CEO? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so when we're looking at the design critiques, there might be, um, it's, it's not totally different in a lot of ways. Um, I think that it's, it's more of a, a community of designers and product managers collaborating together in, in the critique and hashing things out in a, in a way that you know, makes sense for them. And then uh, when you're presenting to our co-founder, I mean, he's, a, he's also going to give design feedback. He's a you know, 
really a uh, strong product thinker and, and design thinker. Um, and then he, he'll give feedback that's more making it clear what's launch blocking and not. You know, so there again, it's like there might be six or seven things that he feels are important, but he's like, but none of this is launch blocking. I think you could still launch without it. And there'll be one or two things that he's like, I wouldn't feel that we should launch this until we fix this or that. So that's, that's one key difference. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's give a hand to Amanda. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, we have to do a selfie, sorry. Okay, selfie. Yeah, with an audience in the back, so that's my. That's your thing? Yeah, that's my thing. All right, everyone smile in the back. All right, nice, nice. thank you.